If you have your Bibles, I would ask you to turn to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1. We will, we will do our best to follow the Lord today and follow the Lord in any weeks that might come from here moving forward. But over the past several weeks, the Lord has been directing my heart to this book and believe that we might be here uh, for a while in the book of Nehemiah. So many lessons to be to be learned from this book. This book records some of the final narrative history of the Old Testament. Um, a return to Jerusalem that we'll find here and if you're familiar with the book, you know this first chapter. You know the setting of the first several chapters that the walls in Jerusalem are broken down. And I pray that the Lord would help us and put our thoughts together today. But as I have been studying this book over the last few weeks, and the Lord has continued to work this in my heart, I, I couldn't help but see so many parallels to the day in which we live in our life. And the title for today's message, if you jot these things down, is When the Walls Are Broken Down. When the Walls Are Broken Down. And I think probably every one of us can see in our own lives, and I think as well, certainly I think we can see it in our nation's condition today, that spiritually, the walls are broken down. It's not good news, I know. It's not what we want to hear. It, it may be discouraging, but I hope it isn't. It's a recognition, I think, of the truth. The walls are broken down. I think to not acknowledge that or to see that is to ignore the truth that's right in front of us. In the Old Testament, God called a nation of people to be his people, Israel. Called Abraham in the 12th chapter of Genesis and made of him a nation made of him descendants as the sand of the sea, the stars of the heavens, and they couldn't for number, and turned a, a nation of slaves in Egypt and brought them out of that slavery and established them in the promised land and made them a mighty nation under the kings of David and Solomon, a powerful and rich nation. But God chose them not because they were special or unique, but because he chose them. He said that I, even when he brought them out of Egypt, he said, I'm going to bring you out of Egypt so that the world might know who I am. And so Israel and all of the 4,000 years of that time that we read in the Old Testament, it, it was painting a picture. Israel was a representation in the Old Testament of God's people. And even in the Old Testament, we see that there were people who became Israelites because they were, became followers of, of God. And yet, as we look back and we see the condition of Israel and we see the things that happened to them, and Paul taught us in the New Testament that we read about the things that happened in the Old Testament, they're examples to us. They're patterns. They're, they're things for us to apply to our own lives. You might be asking, what does, what does the life of Nehemiah have to do with me? This man that I've heard of, perhaps, if I've been in Sunday school, but what does the challenge that he confronted have to do with me? I think we are in a very similar position as he was 
when he receives this news that he's going to receive in the first chapter. The walls, spiritually, of our nation are broken down. And as concerning as that is, and it should be, and yet at the same time we must also realize that our citizenship is in heaven. And come what may in our life here in the kingdoms of the earth, where we find citizenship, our ultimate citizenship is a citizen of God's kingdom. And as concerning as that ought to be, though, maybe, maybe this last year has been a difficult year spiritually for you, or maybe you've examined, or maybe you see in your own life that spiritual walls around your life are broken down. Maybe you remember a time where they were in, in good condition and in good shape, fending off the attacks of the enemy, a place that you could re retreat to in prayer with the Lord, and even perhaps prayer with others in the, in a, in the church, and, and you felt protected, and you felt that the walls of your spiritual life were, were up and were strong and were holding and maybe now, though, those walls seem to be broken down. And the question is, what do you do? Nehemiah shows us what we do, what we ought to do, what we should do in this first chapter of these 11 verses. So read with me, Nehemiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, the, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, that is the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and the gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are faithful, or excuse me, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But... If you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people 
whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. When the walls are broken down. Hananiah comes and gives this report of the condition of the Israelites in Jerusalem to Nehemiah. And he tells them, in essence, that things are not good. Some 13 years prior to this, Ezra had led another group of Israelites back from exile. Trying to keep something of a history in your mind, Nehemiah will be the third uh, individual who leads people back from, from Babylon, now owned or controlled and, and conquered by Persia. Ezra had brought some people back 13 years prior to this time, and they had began to rebuild the walls, and they'd also rebuilt the temple. Many years prior to that, Zerubbabel had also brought some people back from exile and brought them to Jerusalem. And Nehemiah is asking about them. He is the cupbearer to the king, to Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, the, the world power at the time. A place of great importance, by the way, a position of great influence this Israelite found himself in. And these, his brethren, his brothers, some, the scripture doesn't tell us exactly that Hananiah was just a brother in the sense of a fellow Israelite or a brother truly of, of a family relation, and it seems it's probably his, truly his brother, but Hanani comes and Nehemiah asks him, how are things going with those who have returned from exile? How are they doing? How are they, how are they faring? How is the city? And the report that he hears is troubling. Hanani says things are not good. Things are, are not in a good place. The walls are broken down. And the people there are in a terrible place and, and they're in shame and great trouble. And I think spiritually, this is, this is probably how an honest assessment of our land would also come if, if, if we honestly examine the situation of our life. Nehemiah asking, what is the condition of, of, of our brethren as they try to rebuild the worship of Jehovah, the God of heaven? Our God, how are they doing? And, and Nehemiah is told that it's not going well. And maybe, again, as we examine this, we want to look at it. I think it's, it's appropriate to look at it from a national perspective, but I, I also don't want you to lose sight of the individual application of this passage of Scripture. And if somebody were to ask, how is it around your spiritual heart? How is it? Because that's where God now dwells. God said in the Old Testament he was going to dwell with his people Israel and specifically between the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant. He says, there I will dwell with you. But Jeremiah and Isaiah and the other prophets of the Old Testament said there was going to be a day and it happened even then, but where God would dwell in our hearts. So how is the condition of your heart, the spiritual walls, are they up? Are they defending? Or have they been broken down? 
How would the response and the report, what would the report be for your spiritual condition? As we step out of one year and begin into a new year, 2024, no one knows if we'll see it, much less any more years after that. But how is the condition of your heart? As we examine, as we begin to set out into a new year, I think it's good for us to ask the same question that Nehemiah asked. How's it going? How is your heart before God? Are the walls built? Is your prayer life strong? Is your scripture habit reading, is your reading habit, is it in place? Are you gathering with God's people? Are you praying daily? Or perhaps the walls are broken down, and so what do you do? Well, first, Nehemiah gives us a great pattern. The first step is prayer. You see, sometimes I think we want to fix things in our life because we know they need fixing before we pray sincerely and truly. We try to clean ourselves up and we try to make ourselves better and we try to do better. And that is good. That is honorable to want to do better. But may we follow Nehemiah's example. And the first thing that we do when we hear that there is trouble in around the, our, Jerusalem and there's trouble in our own lives and in our own heart, the first step here that Nehemiah takes is a fitting step. Pray. It's the first step. It's going to be the last step. And there are going to be many prayers in between. Warren Wiersbe said this too often. We plan our projects and then ask God to bless them. But Nehemiah didn't make that mistake. He sat down and wept, knelt down and prayed, and then stood up and worked because he knew he had the blessing of the Lord on what he was doing. We must first pray. First stop and pray. And he is examining or giving us an, a fitting first step here. As soon as I heard these words, he says in verse 4, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah is devastated by this news. He's concerned deeply. The king is even going to notice that his countenance changes this is in the month Kislev, which is generally to our calendar today, the months of November and December uh, period. And then some three months later, chapter 2 is going to begin in the month Nisan, which is uh, March and April to our calendar. So Nehemiah is troubled. Even others around him notice it. Even the king of Persia, who no doubt has many things on his mind and heart, notices that his cupbearer is broken and is sad of sad countenance and is troubled. And Nehemiah is concerned about this. And you might think that that's something to just skip right past. But I don't want us to skip right past it because I think far too much of the time we realize our walls spiritually are broken down. And not only is that a problem, it's even a greater problem when it doesn't concern us at all. When it's not noticed so much. We, we so, so long the walls have been broken down that it's, it's normal in our life and we, a normalcy begins to build into our lives and spiritually the walls are broken down. But it's been that way for so long perhaps that we don't notice. This is not the example of Nehemiah. So may we be concerned. He's devastated by this news. 
It's of great concern to him that the walls are broken down. He begins to pray, begins to weep and to mourn for days, he says. And again, it's probably going to go on. The scripture here doesn't specifically say, but it's going to go on for some time. As the months go by, the, the concern and the brokenness does not leave Nehemiah's heart. He continues to fast and to pray. And he prays this prayer, beginning in verse 5. Some, a prayer that I think we would do well to try to pattern our own prayers after. Not that we repeat scripture or repeat words and think that there's power in them alone. Our prayers come from our hearts. Our prayers come from deep within us as the Spirit helps us to make our request to God. And yet I see in this prayer a pattern of prayer that is healthy for us to be aware of. When the walls are broken down, what's the first step? Prayer. And what does this prayer look like? He says, I said in verse 5, O Lord. And we've made this point before. When you see that word Lord, you understand in the Old Testament that is Yahweh. In the Hebrew, Y-H-W-H, the Tetragrammaton, the personal name of God. It's who He is. It's His name. It's not just His position. He, may, he labels some of that as well. God of heaven, great and awesome. But He, he calls Him by name. He calls out to God by his name. The difference here is, is I am a father, I am a husband, I am an employee, but I, my name is Kent. Here, Nehemiah calls out upon God himself, who he knows the personal name of God. And so the first step in this prayer is is to remember that we are calling out to a person, to God. Not just an idea about God, not to some energy, not to some power or some mystical thing. We're, we are calling upon Yahweh, the God of heaven and earth. He is this and He is that and He is omniscient and omnipotent and omnipresent and He is merciful and He is gracious and He is loving and He is kind but His name is Yahweh and I know Him and He knows me. And so I can call out to Him not to just ideas about Him but to Him. I can say, Oh Lord God, Yahweh, my God, as, t as Thomas gave us that example, and he's given a hard time when he says, unless I see Jesus and put my hands in his, in his side and see the nail prints in his hands, I won't believe. I think in some ways we have to take a lesson from that. Until you see him, you won't know him. You can hear about him from others, and that is good, and that is helpful. But until you see him, and Thomas went on to say then, My Lord and my God. This prayer, when the walls are broken down, it begins by coming to God and calling upon Him, this God that you know, and if you don't know Him, then that's where you start. Don't try to, don't try to fix much in your life until you know the Lord. And, and I know that can be taken the wrong way, 
But so many people are trying to dress up the outside. That's what Jesus said to the, uh, to the Pharisees, isn't it? You dress up the outside, your whited sepulchers, your, your whitewashed tombs. On the outside, it's pretty, but inside it's just death. Call upon this God. That's where you start if you don't know him. There are far too many people, I fear, praying to God's position and not praying to his person, who he is. That one you are going to stand before one day. That one who gave you life. One instant, some nine months before January 11 in 1973, I didn't exist at all, except in the mind of God. And then in an instant, I did. He gave me life. And I'm going to stand before him, and I'm going to give account before him, and I'm going to be able to apply the life and the righteousness of Christ to my account because of the faith that I had in him, but because of his mercy and grace, I know him and he knows me. And that is exactly what Jesus was saying to Peter, who am I? And he says, you know me and I know you and on this I'm going to build my church. This knowledge, this awareness, this relationship that is real. As soon as I heard these words, Nehemiah said in verse 4, I knelt down and prayed and his prayer began with, O Lord, God of heaven. And that word, that phrase, God of heaven, by the way, is a phrase that really many of the Persians referred to their multitude of gods. But he truly knew Yahweh, truly the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. He's calling upon a God that he knows. He's calling upon a God that he knows can help and can deliver. He lists these things, God of heaven and earth, God, uh, the awesome and terrible and great God. Here's Nehemiah. Again, put yourself in his position. He's worried. He's broken. He's devastated by the news that is that Israel and that Jerusalem and that the walls around Jerusalem are crumbled and it's just devastated. And that news has devastated him. But what is he to do about it? He, he doesn't have any power. To do anything about this but he knows somebody who does he knows God he knows that in prayer he can co communicate with God he knows who he is he knows he is faithful he knows he is just as he says the one who keeps covenant and steadfast love this great work that is in front of him and maybe in your life Maybe the walls have broken down. Maybe maybe there are things in your life, not just maybe broken walls. Maybe there's just some other work that God would have you to do and you look at that work and you think, I have not the power, the wisdom, the ability, the wealth, the position, the influence, the talent. I can't do what he's calling me to do, what he's burdened my heart about. But may I direct you to follow the pattern of Nehemiah here and call upon the God that you know and remember who he is. You can't do it, but he can, and he likes to work that way. He likes to work with people when, it, when you get to the end of it. And I've said this many times in my life. I, I so much prefer that when you get to the end of a work or the end of a church service or the end of, a, of an effort in trying to serve the Lord, that you look back and you can simply say, it was God all the way through because I don't have the ability to do what just happened. Nehemiah knew that, and that was his prayer. 
I love this quote from Spurgeon. God, the Holy Ghost, writes our prayers. As he comes and communicates to our heart, I'll just quote Spurgeon. God, the Holy Ghost, writes our prayers. God, the Son, presents our prayers. And God, the Father, accepts our prayers. And with the whole Trinity to help us, what can prayer not perform? And amen. The Spirit writes our prayers as He works in our hearts. The Son said He is making intercession for us and He is, he is the, the, the one who hears and, and then pr presents those prayers to God and God the Father hears them and works. That whole trinity is involved. What can prayer not do? He's devastated by the news. The walls are broken down. He starts in the right place. He begins with prayer, to prayer to this God that he knows, prayer to this God that he knows not only personally, but he knows what he can do. And then verses 6 and 7, and we'll try to phrase, move through this hurriedly, but this is important. Just think about, again, this pattern of prayer that you're seeing here. He prays to God, and he knows him. Prayer is not to be just empty words. It's, it's communication with God. I know him and he knows me. And by the way, that, you should never be dishonest with God when you're speaking to him in prayer. He knows your heart. Tell him what's in your heart. Acknowledge what's there. It's God that he, that he knows, but he begins in verses 6 and 7. He simply says, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open. Another Spurgeon quote, the goal of prayer is the ear of God. Let your ear be attentive, your eyes open. Hear me, Father, and see me. The walls are broken down. And this is this is broken my heart about this. I'm concerned about this. My my life is not where it ought to be, and our people aren't where they ought to be, and I am broken about this. Father, would you hear my voice? Would you see what, what our condition is? Hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you night and day for the people of Israel, your servants confessing the sins of the people of Israel. Calls out to God and early on in this prayer is an acknowledgement of sin. An acknowledgement of sin. Israel's and his own. He comes to God and he said, you know, so I think I think what we can sometimes do and go amiss is we can put ourselves in Nehemiah's position and think this is wrong. It's wrong that the walls are broken down. It's wrong that spiritually I'm not where I ought to be or it's wrong that our nation is the way it is today. It's wrong this and it's wrong that and our prayer to God can be God make this right. Make it fair make it what we want it to be, and we can skip over an essential ingredient of prayer by not acknowledging our own sin and the contribution we have made to the condition that we are in. It's easy for us to look out into the world today and point our finger, shake our finger, and shake our head and see all the wrong that is there. These walls should not be devastated. These walls should not be rubble. The gates should not be broken down. The Christian mind and the Christian worldview and ethic 
should not be lying in crumbles in the United States or in my own heart or in my home. And we begin by praying to God and sometimes we go amiss because we say, God, make this right without acknowledging before him that we played a part in the rubble that surrounds us. That we contributed to it. We don't wallow there. I don't want to leave you there. Too many sermons and too many preachers have a tendency sometimes to leave us there in the watering and let Satan kick us while we're down and cover us up with dirt. I'm not saying to stay there. That's not where Nehemiah stays. But he does approach God and say, God, I acknowledge it. I admit it. We sinned. We have gone astray. We have dealt corruptly with you. You've not done so with us. You've simply done exactly what you said you would do. We have sowed and we have reaped precisely what we sowed. Father, I know that it's our sin that has contributed to this condition and this position. I know it wasn't you. I'm not calling upon you in some... Uh, entitled spiritual sense that because I know who you are that you'll, you'll in an instant make all of this right he acknowledges the sin of Israel the sin of our people we've sinned against you but then listen even I he says at the end of verse 6 even I and my father's house have sinned that's honest prayer because it's real easy to just say everybody else is really messing things up it's really easy to say that president of ours is just really making a mess of things those politicians and I tell you right left and different I, I don't know what I think it's all a blur to me it's easy to point the finger outward Nehemiah didn't do that if you want the walls rebuilt in your life the word I is going to have to be in your prayers and acknowledgement of sin. I did this. I am at fault. I acknowledge it before you, God. There's not a, there's not a square centimeter of my heart that you don't see with the brightness of the noonday sun. There's no dark place that I don't want anyone else to see and know about that you don't know about. Father, I know my sin. I know I've contributed to the fact that these walls are in, in shambles. And, and if this is true for you and in your life, then I would say and you're, you're wired a little bit this way perhaps. 2023 is in the rearview mirror. 2024 is coming at us. Make 2024 the year that you rebuild the spiritual walls around your life. Because I'll tell you this, the enemy wants to stop the rest of it out. He wants to obliterate the witness of Christ in your life. So rebuild the walls. And it starts with this kind of a prayer that Nehemiah gives. And he acknowledges my sin is at, is part has a part to play here. I'm not just going to blame everyone around me. I'm not going to blame the politicians. I'm not going to blame the government. I'm not going to blame my work. I'm not going to blame whatever else is going on around me. Those may take a, a play a part and certainly they do but it's it's in your power and control to control your heart and ask God to give you wisdom and, and to confess the sin and to acknowledge it even I have Nehemiah says well this doesn't sound like 
a lot of people take the book of Nehemiah, and I won't split hairs, and they'll say it's all about how to, you know, biblical leadership, and certainly there's much to do there. I think it misses a bigger picture when that's your focus. But if you're thinking about leadership, Nehemiah is not a typical leader today, is it? I'm just a sinner. That's what Nehemiah is saying. God's the righteous one, the holy one. Christ is the one that is righteous. He says, even I and my father's house, we have acted very corruptly against you. We've not kept these things. And so, Father, what you said would happen has happened. Nehemiah knew the book of Deuteronomy. God had told Moses exactly what was going to happen. You're going to get into the promised land, God had said. Your people, the people are. They're going to turn their face from me, and I am going to bring judgment upon them. Sometimes we look around at our nation, and we say things like, if we don't turn around, we're going to face judgment. I tell you today, we're facing it. I think it's past tense. How do we live in the midst of that and return from exile as a people spiritually and live for God in the midst of Babylon and Persia and Greece and Rome? That's where we are today. And the walls of our hearts, spiritual walls around our hearts, they need to be built. And that's what Nehemiah is going to do and the people there and I pray that you and I are able spiritually to gain some insight into how that is done. And it begins here with this prayer. And he petitions God upon God's promises and upon God's name in verses 8 through 10. His petition to God, he's acknowledged his sin. He's acknowledged who God is. He's called out to him. And now he begins to make his petition in general, here in verses 8 through 10, and then in verse 11, he gives a very specific request. Verse 8 through 10, remember the word you commanded your servant Moses, saying, and he's talking about Scripture in Deuteronomy, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you. Nehemiah acknowledges this is Lord, you told us. You told us this is what is going to happen if we disobey, and it has happened just as you said. I've often thought about people that as Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came and destroyed Judah. Ultimately, finally, the northern kingdom of, of Israel had been destroyed some years before that. And Judah existed, Benjamin and the tribe of Judah, as, as an independent nation for, for many years after that. But then Nebuchadnezzar came and he, he besieged Jerusalem and he took it over and he, he destroyed the temple and he took the, the, the precious things out of the temple and the and the the, the the dishes and all the things that were there. And, and, and then he exiled. Remember, Daniel was exiled and many others were exiled from Israel. And I, I can see so many of those Israelites as they've been lined up and marching out of Jerusalem into exile, which was the practice of Babylon when they overtook a nation and they took those people out and they said, you know what? It's a whole lot easier to control the people when you turn them into Babylonians and don't allow them to stay Israelites. And so they export them out. And I can see so many people in my mind's eye. I don't know if this is true or not. It's not written in scripture, but in my own summation or my own uh, 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 guesses, I can see or I can hear Israelites saying, God is going to show you God is going to make this right, Babylon. You're in trouble with him because we're his people. And they're blaming Babylon. And it was God all along sending them out of Israel. It was God doing that. It wasn't Nebuchadnezzar. You, can, you could mount the armies of the world both now and in all of history, put them into one great big army, and you can't take God's people where, God's, where God doesn't want his people to go. You wouldn't have that ability. 
Israel was exiled because God exiled them, because he said he would. That's not exactly what he said. He said, if, remember, you said that if you're unfaithful, I'll scatter you among the peoples. And that's exactly what he did. But, verse 9, but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, there's hope. Walls around Jerusalem devastated. Walls around your own heart devastated. Acknowledge all of these things. Come to this point and remember there's hope because God says, if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost part of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen. I will make this right. And he says that my name will dwell there. My name. I don't want you to miss that. Because I think some of the struggles and the, the obstacles that we run into when we maybe we're where Nehemiah was, we realize there's some things in our life, the walls are broken down. Maybe it's maybe we realize that in our nation, in our home, in our church, in our in our community, wherever whatever that that geographic or that metaphorical place might be, and we realize that the spiritual walls are, are, are broken down. And, and and we think I want to make them right again. And, and we see this great need. But sometimes the, the obstacle we run into that prevents our progress is that we forget that all of this is to honor God and not us. Nehemiah was praying, God, I desire this for your name, not mine. For you to be exalted, not me. For your will to be done, not mine. This is the prayer of a man that God will use or a woman or a young person that God will use to remember, as he says, to make my name dwell there. This is not a prayer to make things right or fair in that sense for Nehemiah or Israel as a people. It is a prayer for God's mercy and grace for his name's sake. Not to make ours great. Not to make our church's name great. Not to make our denomination great. Not to make our nation great. But to make great things about God. To make His name great. Not that it isn't. Because certainly it is. But to make our lives congruent with that focus and that effort. Petitions God in this way. Verse 11, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant. So he closes it in the front and the back end of this. Lord, hear me. And the psalmist says that so many times as well. If you read the Psalms, hear me. Be attentive to the prayer of your servant. But listen to this. And to the prayer of your servants, plural, who delight to fear your name. Nehemiah knew he wasn't alone. Hear me, Father. But would you also hear all of those others who I am convinced are also praying? who are also devastated, who are also concerned. Nehemiah knew he wasn't the only one. And he knew that they were praying 
as well. Hear me and hear them. And then he comes down to this. Give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Who is the this man? It's Artaxerxes the king. Give me success before him. We're going to turn the page, turn to the next chapter, and there's going to be a conversation between this Artaxerxes and Nehemiah that's going to change his life forever. Right now he doesn't know that's going to happen. At the end here of chapter 1, Nehemiah has no way how this is going to happen, and he is praying, God, I am asking you to give me success in the sight of the king. Why did he ask that? In the original collections of Scripture in the, of the Old Testament among the Jews, Ezra and Nehemiah were, 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 were one book. They weren't split out. The book of Esther is sandwiched right in between this timeline of Ezra's return and, or excuse me, uh, yeah, Ezra's, Zerubbabel's, Zerubbabel's return and Ezra's return. And this history coincides. But in Ezra, I believe it's chapter 4, verse 12, we read the passage that talks about this very same king, Artaxerxes, putting an end to the building and the rebuilding of the wall in Jerusalem. This very same king is the one who had ordered the stop, the building of the wall. And Nehemiah is praying, God, I'm broken about this reality that your city, your place, that your name is to be made much of is in is in such devastation. And so he says to God, and his prayer is, God, give me success in his sight. Help, Lord, somehow make a way that only you can make. Because in order for me to fulfill what I feel you're burdening me about, God, the most powerful man in the world, in an earthly sense, is the one who will have to reverse his decision, which a king was not wont to do, He's going to have to reverse his decision and say it's okay to begin building this wall again. And do you know what's going on in all the sideline? God is already at work here. I used to really think, you know, how the chapters are not divinely inspired in Scripture and neither are the verses. The chapters came in 300 AD and I think the, the, the verses in 12 or 1500, they aren't Scripture. I always thought that this, this last phrase, now I was cupbearer to the king, kind of belonged in the second chapter. I'm kind of reversing that decision a little bit. God's already at work here. Nehemiah happened to be the cupbearer to the king, the very king that would have to reverse the decision that he made. The one who had put confidence and trust in Nehemiah. God is already at work. Not only is he at work here locally among the king and Nehemiah and building this relationship between the two where this is going to be opened, but in the meantime, there is a lot of trouble for the Persian king, Artaxerxes, trying to maintain control of his kingdom. But in Egypt, uh, one of his satraps had rebelled. In various other parts of the country, there was a rebellion. And Megabysus was the name of another, I believe, in the, in the area of Trans-Judea uh, uh, that was rebelling against the, the Persian king. And so it became politically expedient and politically advantageous for, for Artaxerxes to have people in Jerusalem that he could trust. And Nehemiah is just going to happen to be in the right place at the right time for God to accomplish his purpose, not Artaxerxes. But he's going to align them. He's going to line them up because that's what God does. When there's a heart that is revealed like Nehemiah's in our own hearts, God will go before us and make these things that to us are impossible, possible. 
And as he prays, he doesn't end it merely with prayer. Prayer is where it should start. Prayer should season everything we do in between, and it should be at the end. But prayer does not dismiss the need to act, and to work, and to go, and to speak. Prepare this, Lord. Make a way, and when it does, help me and make me ready for that day. Summarize this this way, and I pray that if there's something that has been useful to you, that God would bring be, be honored in that. The walls are broken down. First of all, I beg you to be concerned about it. Be concerned. It's 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 of concern. You know, we we worry and fret about a lot of things in life that really aren't worth worrying and fretting about. I do. We all do. I think. Doesn't mean that they're not real. That they they don't cause concern. But we should be concerned with the place of our heart before God, and then pray. Secondly, know God by name. Know Him. Make sure he knows you. Recognize his faithfulness and his power. Acknowledge the sin that has led to the place that you're in and petition God according to his word and his will, not your own. Remember that you're not alone. God has called others around you to serve with and alongside you to honor him, and you'll not be working alone. There may be few, and I think that is true, but it's never taken God a great army to do great things. God has never waited on a great man to do great things because there are none. There's one hero in the scripture. His name is Jesus. It's not Paul. It's not Peter. It's not any of these great kings. It's Jesus. And through history, there's only been one hero. His name is Jesus. It's not Charles Spurgeon. It's not any other preacher. It's Jesus. And as we work together to acknowledge him, take comfort and, and, and be assured you're not alone, and then prepare for action. God, God make, make us successful in the place in which we live. And then rest assured, God's at work. It might take some time. Nehemiah is here, and it's in the month of Kislev. It's going to be three months later in the month of Nisan before any any outward thing begins to happen, but it's going to change his life. But it all started with a heart of prayer here. When the walls are broken down, start with a prayer like Nehemiah's and ask God to give you grace to stand in the day in which we live, in the time in which we live, and face the challenges that face us spiritually.